0: This Choircast Podcast episode is brought to you by This Is Not Church Podcast and the letter F. And you. <laughs> <laughs> if you've made it this far, my name is Nat Turney, my brother John Turney, and I co-host This Is Not Church, the podcast. And this is sadly the level of discourse that you can expect to find if you tune in every Monday when we drop new episodes. But all joking aside, John and I see this as a, as an opportunity for us to address issues that we don't think are addressed nearly enough inside of evangelicalism. So LGBTQIA plus issues, BIPOC issues, social justice issues. We like to talk to a broad variety and range of people and really try to find places of commonality for everybody. So check out the podcast. Every Monday, our episodes drop. Wherever you stream podcasts, you can find us. Remember, this is not church. And to that, John says.
1: It's time for another round of Snarky Faith
2: with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation.
1: So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, welcome to Snarky Faith, the perfect place if you've had enough of the insanity of Christianity. And if you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of
3: sarcasm
1: and also a bit of this, then welcome home. I'm glad you're here. Otherwise, you've been warned. All right, buckle up, boys and girls. We've got a lot of ground to cover today on this show. On today, here's what we're going to be doing. Here's the map of where we're going. We're going to... First, 1st we're going to reflect on how Easter has become a religious shit show. So you've got that in one hand. And on the other hand, the second half of the show, we are going to be joined by Keith Giles and Matt DeStefano, to talk about choir publishing's new venture into classic literature, why books matter, and they shouldn't be banned. So are you ready? Like, are you really ready? And this is one of those things where I'm actually waiting for you to respond to me, like, are you ready? Yeah, Stuart. No, I don't think you're ready. So here's what we're going to do to get you ready. You know what you need? A little jazzercise for Jesus. Come on, now! I'm
2: a poet.
1: Yes, feeling pumped already. Feeling juiced up in the spirit. Oh, okay. So here's my thought. Here's what we're going to do today. We are going to go ahead and do a combo, a combo on this commentary and the Christian crazy for the beginning of our show. So, so without further ado, I've got, I mean, since I've already said this, I have to. I mean, it's, I think, contractually obligated that I need to right now Roll the intro music to The choicest Cuts of Christian Nuts That's right, it's the Christian Crazy of the Week Easter Edition
3: If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right Lord have mercy, the Lord is my shepherd he knows know what I want
1: So as we descend into the Christian Crazy I want you to ask yourself has Christianity lost the plot, especially in regards to Easter? Like, Easter, I feel like, is, is this is mass like, conglomeration of showing us that Christianity really has nothing to do with the ways and teachings of Jesus anymore. Like, it's been taken over. It is, it is things have been lost and things continue to move forward, but no one's asking the essential question, what does any of this have to do with Jesus? Let's see what's in our Easter basket. So you may be asking yourself, why are we talking about Easter after Easter? Well, I wanted to wait. I wanted to wait until it was over, and you know, of course, we've gotta wait for the Orthodox folks that do it a week later and all this. No, but I wanted us to actually reflect upon where we have been and where we are going within modern-day Christianity. Now, Now, when we talk about this, it's easy for us to be able to say, well, come on, those are like the two holidays of the year where the church can shine. Christmas and Easter It's where we put our budgets. It's where we throw our money. It's where we say, wow, look at Jesus. But really, my question is, what Jesus are we actually looking at anymore? So let's go ahead and dig down into that as we hop through this Christian crazy. So first of all, first of all, we know that Easter is about Jesus being tried and persecuted, beaten and tortured and killed on a cross. This was a government slash religious hit piece that went on for him, right? So so when we think of that, we want to think about others that have been through similar situations, right? Let's see what Marjorie Taylor Green thinks about, you know, Jesus, Easter and who's on the same level. I mean, think about, gosh, think about this. President Trump is joining some of the most incredible people in history being arrested today. Um, Nelson Mandela was arrested, served time in prison. Jesus! Jesus was arrested and murdered by the Roman government. There have been many people throughout history that have been arrested and persecuted by radical, corrupt governments. And it's beginning today in New York City. Um, and I just can't believe it's happening, but I'll always support him. He's done nothing wrong. He's yep. he's done everything right. I mean, he has done everything right. We learned that on Easter that Jesus was sinless, that lived a sin. Oh, wait, no. She's talking about Trump. So when we have boiled down Easter, especially from this, this ass hat of a Christian nationalist that is putting Trump in the same category as Jesus, I think Christianity has completely lost its way. So let's try this next one. Let's try this next one. And I want you to engage in the circular logic that somehow Christian, of what Christianity has become. When we talk about circular logic, we're talking about these things. that They they sound pretty. They sound good. And a lot of people go, oh, yeah, that's so deep. And they nod their head. But at the same time, I don't know what they're talking about. Like, if you ask me to explain what this is, it doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah, yeah. So this comes from TikTok. And see if you can spot the flaw in logic in the Christian existence here. Just go ahead and see if you can sip on it. Hmm.
2: If God's so good, why do bad things happen to good people? Right. Oh, yeah. And then God gave me a revelation and he was actually like, actually the bad things are good because it wakes you up to reality and that's the whole revelation of being high on life. It brings a soberness, right? Well, what about the people in Africa that are struggling right now and everything? And I'm like, to you, That might seem bad, because you only have earthly perspective, and this is all there is.
1: Oh, it's all there is. It's all there is. And we're about to get even deeper, deeper into this theological mumbo-jumbo bullshit to them their treasures are they're literally
2: investing right now and their treasures are being stored up in heaven and all the suffering combined on this earth is nothing its uncomparable to the joy that you'll have when you
1: hit heaven's gates oh so here's kind of how that math works bad stuff happens we don't have a decent enough understanding of theology to be able to answer that kind of a question so then we just say hey treasures in heaven because that's all that ever matters and think about this think about this whole idea oh no what about the starving and suffering people in the world and hey 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 don't worry don't worry about this good samaritan thing about this giving to the poor this this giving of yourself unto others don't worry about it just let them suffer because they are getting their treasures in heaven So just remember that, Christians, you really don't have to do anything that Jesus said because treasure's in heaven. Oh, oh, that really gets me off the hook. So it's a good thing that we don't have to help those in need. That is great. That's a great message from Easter because it's King Jesus, right? Heaven, heaven's the answer for everything. Now, this next thing, if you begin to ask yourself, let's see. So, okay, fine. Okay, fine. Christianity, we don't really need to help others right now because the treasure's in heaven. Got that, got that. Okay. So, but what about the whole thing? Jesus talks about like loving your neighbors, loving your enemies. Oh, that's really, really difficult for modern day Christendom. It's really, really hard to get that idea down because there's so many people Christians are taught not to like. Ah. So, I give you here this is going to be Christian nationalist John. America. And John is going to give one of the most honest answers of where Christianity is at today in America. Now, he is absolutely wrong, but what he admits here and what he lays out as the proper way for Christians to be is very, very telling of where he
2: and a lot of others are at. What does it mean to love your enemies? It means to want them to repent and go to heaven. That is all that it means. It doesn't mean you want them to win Academy Awards. It doesn't mean you want them to win elections. It doesn't mean you want them to be rich and powerful and have jobs at the FBI so that they can persecute the innocent. It, it, you can love Adolf Hitler while trying to remove him from power and put him on trial for his crimes. Uh, okay, all excuse re- me. Wait, I want to Yeah, yeah. All it requires is that you will the person's eternal salvation. You pray for their salvation. That's literally all Christian love's means that. I I make the joke, I pray for my enemies' deathbed conversions as soon as possible. Now, that's a little bit sar- sarcastic, but it makes the point. If you want your enemies to be saved, sometimes kicking their butts and defeating them so that they can—they have to stop aborting nine-month fetuses. They have to stop mutilating 12-year-old girls. They have to stop spreading jihad and slaughtering Christians. The most loving thing you can do to a truly wicked enemy is to defeat him utterly so that he has to face the abyss. And then, and maybe only then, as some of the Nazis at Nuremberg did, he might repent and he might go to heaven, which is the whole point of christian
1: love so there it is part and parcel so it's the christian life is only about praying for people to go to heaven uh and via this logic it's good to pray for their almost destruction as long as it brings them closer to god no this is again a complete other rant and it is an excuse to somehow use faith to be able to push down, marginalize, and take rights away from other people. But I will give him credit in saying that he's at least saying the quiet parts out loud. Is it theological? No. Is it Christianity? No. Does any of this have to do with Jesus? Absolutely not. But again, but again, heaven is our escape hatch hey, you don't really have to love them. You just kind of got to hate love them into heaven. And if you're going to beat them, beat them within an inch of their lives because that's what Jesus would do, which is hilarious. When you begin to hear this, you begin to hear all of this talk of beating people into submission and wearing them down and all of this. This is all like Roman government talk. This is all like the empire talk. You know, the empire that, got rid of Jesus that Jesus spoke against that Jesus called out the powerful in these situations yeah 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 have we lost our friggin' minds within American Christianity oh yes is it recent oh no but but I think this is a fantastic example of what it looks like to say we're something but somehow let our actions define us otherwise. Now, people have taken this term of Christianity and Christendom, and now they somehow use this as a, like, persecution tool against other people, which, again, it's so bizarre that we're using Jesus in this way, in this context, especially when we think about the ramifications of Easter. What is Easter really about? What is it about? It's about sacrifice. It's about the willingness to do the right thing always, regardless of what it costs us. That's what Easter should remind us about. And instead, we just get a hooray party for Jesus because he's king. He's on the throne. He's in heaven covered in gold. There's pearls. I mean, it's, it's, it's just disgusting. This is kind of like, you know, heaven's Mar-a-Lago kind of a, a viewpoint on the way things are. But we forget, but we forget about this. And Easter, this is why I don't like Easter. This is why I don't like Easter in the way that modern Christianity is celebrating it. And this is why I'm pushing back against this today. I have so many friends that are pastors. I've been in the pastor's shoes and been in these positions too, where we end up spending so much budget and putting so much effort into putting on a good show to make people feel good because you hope they're gonna come back to church and tithe. Is this really about Jesus? No. Is it really about making people feel entertained and excited and telling people messages like, we win! King Jesus! Hey, 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 we don't have to worry about death anymore. Because it only matters about victorious Jesus. All of his teachings, all of what he called us to do, the humility, the, the acts of compassion and grace, all of that Out the window, because it doesn't matter, right, folks? Because, you know, spoiler alert, Jesus wins in the end, so we don't have to give a shit about the things he said that actually led him to his death. Kind of see where that's a problem. Kind of see where we're completely missing the mark, and Christianity continues just to roll forward because Easter is... Our like annual orgasm of the year, right? Because you can't say orgasm with Christmas because it's a baby, but come on, Jesus. Jesus is full grown now. He's ripped. Have you seen crucifixes? He is ripped and he is ready. You see, the problem is when we lose the plot this bad, we continue on using the name of Jesus and talking about Jesus, but we embody Nothing of Jesus. Now, this this may not be the most nuanced take here on this, but let's 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 do a test. Okay? So we're gonna have, you know, Kent Christmas. Oh yes, the little man with a microphone, Kent Christmas, is going to float an idea that, again, this is during a Sunday morning service. And I want you to ask yourself what does any of this have to do with Christianity? Unless, unless Christianity is really just about making money. Now, teachings of Jesus, not about that. But what the institution has become, eh,
3: I'll let you be the judge. Hey, Kent, go ahead, little man. I, this is my personal opinion. I don't think churches should ever have to lean on banking systems to finance the kingdom of God. Christians deposit their money in the wrong places. We're putting it in banks. Any company that does not believe in God. So, it doesn't make any sense, but if you got extra money plant it in the kingdom of the Lord, do it in missions, do it in places. Listen, right now, we are good soil. If you got a million, give it, and God will give you back to me. You say, well, that's easy to say. I'm just telling you, you cannot outgive God, and this is an opportunity for you, for God to open the windows of heaven over you. Give him your seed and he will give you your harvest.
1: Oh, I know some of you are rolling your eyes when I mentioned orgasm and Easter, but come on, we just heard him. Give us give God your seed. Give it. Give it. What? (laughs) I love it. I love this so much. And when I do that, I mean that in the most sarcastic way possible because okay, Christians shouldn't be putting their monies in banks. They should be putting them in in churches because A, who's saying this and who's wanting their money right away? <coughs> Ken't Christmas. Okay. Two, two on this, I love the promise that, you know, you give one and God will give you back two. Now, again, this is horrible theology. None of this has to do with Christianity. This has to just do with church's institutional obsession with money and how far they will lie and what bullshit they will give you in order to get it it's a grift and they're using this grift in the name of god don't believe me that this is a whole grift well i give you johnny enloe pastor prophet johnny enloe who who does like these amazing amazing like mental gymnastics to be able to make random numbers happen in order to show you that god still cares about sporting events and that when we watch sporting events you really got to pay attention to you know numbers because god is you know god doesn't really like to talk to people he likes to give us these weird little mysterious numbers for us to go and find because that's that's God. That's Christianity. No, it's not. No, it's not at all.
3: We had the national championship for college uh, basketball, both women, men and women. And it's interesting that LSU, the Lady Tigers, they won, became uh, champions. They won their game by 17 points. And uh, UConn, University of Connecticut, the Huskies won by 17 points. So neither one was ranked number one. They had all all the giants fell, but it was a win by 17 points. And I believe it's taking us to a 1 Samuel 17 moment where Goliath gets taken down. So the 17 has to do is a number of victory. um, And it's a number uh, that reminds us of David taking on something very big that was uh, bringing the whole nation into fear. And it does, uh, you know, for moving forward, for those who've understood the military operation uh, going on, the Q plan. Um, that it's the seventeenth letter of the alphabet. Alphabet. It tells us God is working a plan of victory, and He's working with. He has a team. Um, he's 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 working with
1: oh yeah so don't worry folks don't worry folks yeah 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 things may not seem like the way you want them to be but god is working it out god's telling you through scores in games that god is still god like if that's the way they view the almighty Doesn't sound very almighty, right? Like if God just kind of had to like slip it in, almost like fortune cookie style, what? Oh, but Johnny knows, Johnny knows, Johnny knows that he's a grifter and he's got to continue to come up with all of this kind of crap. That again, nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing to do with serving the poor, helping those who are marginalized. None of that. Self-sacrifice? Where is that? We don't need it. No, don't worry about it, folks, because heaven is the answer. Yeah. This This is where I end at on this whole idea that if Christianity wants to believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, if Christianity wants to believe that Jesus is about love, compassion, empathy, Uh, for all peoples why the random hateful rhetoric why the discriminatory policies why is it all about exclusionary stuff why is it all about prophetic stuff why is it all about money stuff why is it all about stuff that doesn't have anything to do with helping out another human I think we can all agree upon this. I think, I think one of the most honest things that we can say, the human existence is a very difficult one. Trying to find our way in the world, trying to survive, you know, that's, that's more difficult for people on different economic scales. But I feel like that throughout the entire human experience, we are all struggling. We are all trying to make sense of the world around us. We are all trying to make sense of whether there's a divine or whether there's not a divine. We're all trying to make sense of what does it mean to do good in the world today as we move forward. And because Easter has really just become about pomp and pageantry, about celebrating victory, about patting ourselves on the back when we've done nothing. See, that's what gets me. Like at Easter, we get to go feel pumped about what Jesus did, but the biggest part of this, the biggest part of the whole thing was about what Jesus did and now what we're supposed to do. Now, when you look at, at things like magicians, right? Now, I'm not talking about like uh, wizard magicians. I'm talking about, you know, guy that's like, oh, here's my thumb oh, look, I can pull my thumb off, woohoo, the coin disappeared, it's in your ear, those kind of tricks, right? And, and I feel like that Easter ends up embodying this in many different ways, that this is kind of a magic trick idea. And so I think that what we end up having, what, mod, what, what the empire thinking, what the institutionalized thinking, what the religious thinking has, has turned Easter into, it's something that does not look at all like Jesus. But, but let me run this through. So this is like a magic trick, okay? So we have the setup. Any good magic trick, you have a setup, okay? So we have the story of Jesus and how it leads up into his death, persecution, and resurrection, right? So we're, we're setting this idea up to the audience. And then, and then as part of, part of doing a magic trick, you also have the reveal, okay? So Jesus, he is, he is, he is killed, he's crucified, And then we have the reveal about, oh, what? Resurrection happens. And we're able to kind of see, oh, how is the trick done? Right? But then there's always this aspect towards the end of it. There's something called a misdirection. And I think that's where institutionalized Christianity lands on, this misdirection. Because... If we have journeyed through this, if we've journeyed through Lent, if we have journeyed towards Easter, towards the Holy Week, and moved through all of these things, that whole process is, is to remind us of who Jesus was, what did He come to do? What did He call us to do? What did He demonstrate for us to do? And the biggest misdirection that we can ever have is to assume that Jesus came and did it all. And that's why Easter is a huge misdirection. Because it ends up leaving us with all of these feelings that somehow we're a part of the winning team. That somehow we've accomplished something by doing nothing. Right? Because that's a lot of the narrative that we get to with Easter, right? Oh, Jesus did it all. All in him I owe. You know, all of that, right? So, Jesus did it all, but we get to celebrate what he did because we did nothing. Now, I'm not talking about faith. You know, we have to have like, is it faith or is it works? I'm not getting into that. I'm talking about the fact of to celebrate what Jesus did, but to not follow in Jesus' steps, to not follow Jesus' teachings, to not walk in the ways of Jesus in the world to not reach out in the way that Jesus did to the marginalized and, and and downtrodden of society. But if we just want to go to the party and celebrate that, oh, it's King Jesus, heaven, that's all that matters, then Easter is absolutely irrelevant to us. And I know within like the liturgical calendar, how we look at this is, oh, we've got... We've got Christmas. It's a big celebration that eventually leads us to Easter, a bigger celebration. But I kind of feel like we miss out on the whole point of why was Jesus here all along. Was it to come as a baby so we could give presents, right? Was it to be murdered on a cross as a, uh, as a victim of the government? only to rise again so we can just celebrate our own ineptitude and the fact that we don't want to really walk out the ways of Jesus because it's hard, and it's easier to just show up at church and celebrate and sing songs. Yeah, yeah. See, the biggest problem with Easter is that in order to be able to celebrate Easter, we have to realize that Easter has to require something of ourselves. For us to feel like we are doing the hard work of walking out the ways of Jesus, well, that tells us that we have to walk out the hard ways of Jesus. Like, you don't get to go to the party unless you're, like, part of the party. Like, and again, I'm not trying to get at the fact that we have to earn anything here. But I am saying it's a bit disingenuous for people to lean on Jesus but ignore all that Jesus said. It just feels a little disingenuous. And also, I had to mention this too. This is also the disingenuous thing. You know what they had before Easter? this 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 is wonderful. This is wonderful. This again is, it's wonderful and missing the plot and missing the entire point of this. Oh, well, in Aurora, this is before Easter, in Aurora, St. Louis, they had a sexy, Jesus pageant. Oh, sexy Jesus. We love sexy Jesus. We love sexy Jesus. Sexy Jesus is all about where we're at in Christianity today. We want a Jesus that doesn't challenge us. We want a Jesus that makes us feel good. We want a Jesus that doesn't really require much of us, but we want a Jesus that allows us to celebrate ourselves when we've done nothing at all. And I just want to leave my little, my soapbox, my diatribe, whatever you want to call it, homily, I don't know. But this comes from Religion News Service, and it's an article from Thomas Reese called Christ Continues to be Crucified in Today's World. And I feel like it is a great reminder of where we're supposed to be. When we think about things like Holy Week, we think about things like Easter, we think about things of the impact of what do Jesus's teachings call to my soul to do? Not what do they allow me to not do? Like loving my neighbor. Yeah. No. but I want to leave you with these words because I, I thought these were, these were very, very fantastic. So Reese puts it like this. He said, Holy Week reminds us of how soldiers arrested Jesus and tortured Jesus. Too often... Those two are supposed to protect the peace and are used as instruments of oppression. The innocent are arrested, police violence is condoned, and the powerful are protected. During Holy Week, we remember how Jesus ate his final meal with his friends. They were happy to enjoy with his presence when things were going well, but they ran when trouble arrived too frequently. We abandon those who are persecuted, those who are arrested, and rather than focusing on What is going on the world, in the world? Like Peter, we fall asleep. This whole process of Holy Week is a time to remember that what Jesus suffered is still going on in the world today. And as Pope Francis said in his Palm Sunday homily, "Christ in His abandonment stirs us to seek Him and to love Him, and those who are themselves abandoned, for in them." we see not only people in need, but Jesus himself, abandoned. And by participating in human suffering, Christ made it redemptive, not empty. It leads to life, not death. And it does not say a Good Friday, but moves on to Easter. And in baptism, we die with Christ so we can be raised with him. And as a member of the body of Christ, our suffering is united with his so that we too will join him and his victory over death, end quote. So what we need to walk away with from the shadows of Easter are the fact that to really embody being a follower of Christ means we have to embody Christ. It means it's not about a celebration, but it's really meant to to be a gut check and a reminder for what we can be doing in the world around us, that there are those that are suffering, that there are those that need a voice, there are those that need a hand, there are those that are in need. And that Easter should never be about escapism. It should never be about turning us in Christianity to just hearken ourselves to the hereafter or to heaven. Because Easter and the reminder of Christ should always ground us very firmly in the here and now in the work that needs to be done in the here and now. At what is required of us in the here and now. Because for us to just simply look towards heaven is a cheat. It's a cop-out. And it has nothing to do with what Christ did and taught us. Can you imagine if Jesus on the cross? Don't worry, people! Heaven! Bitches! (laughs) bitches. <laughs> and then, you know, all the everything goes down. That that that's really what would have happened. That's pretty much what he would have called out. But Jesus was real. Jesus was human. Jesus bled. Jesus was there. And Jesus continued to do the work. Not because it seemed successful, not because there was pomp and circumstance, not because there was all of this other pageantry that was going around. But the simple act of loving and living compassionately should be the thing that reminds us and charges us every day, that Easter should be a reminder every day that Jesus's work is not done, that Jesus's work continues, that to call ourselves a Christian does not mean to be about what we are against, but it means that we're supposed to love in a way that actually seems like love. Now next up, we've got an interview I sat down a couple weeks back with Matt De Stefano and Keith Giles. And we talked a lot about publishing and literature and books, and I think it's a conversation that you're going to quite enjoy. So without further ado, here we go. Joining me today is Matt DeStefano and Keith Giles. They're both best-selling authors, podcasters on the Happy Heretic Hour, uh, amongst others. Um, Now they are literary publishing kingpins with Choir Publishing. (laughs) Uh, You've heard them both on our show before, coming here to talk about their books. Matt, known for his book Heretic, The Bonfire Sessions, and many more. Keith is behind the Jesus Un-series and most recently, Sola Scriptura. It's great to have you guys back here on the show. Thanks. It's Solo Mysterium, though. Oh, Mysterium. Sorry, Solo Mysterium. <laughs> which, is, which
0: is the opposite of Solo scripture. Yes, it's actually. the opposite
1: of Solo scripture. Oh, I think that's that was my cool. own little, yeah, my little, little scripture brain part there. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so as we get things kicked off here, um, tell me this. Give me like a snapshot. What is Choir Publishing for folks that don't know about Choir Publishing?
4: Yeah, Matt, you want to take a stab at that?
0: I would, sure, yeah. Um, Choir Publishing is a publishing company that was founded in 2015, I believe, by Rafael Polendo, And it is a company that will publish books that many in the Christian world won't touch with a 10 foot pole, right? right. Um, you know, and now, uh, but we're taking the spirit of that and we're trying to expand it forward and, And just be a publishing company that will publish really great content from authors that you've heard of and from authors that you haven't heard of. And maybe Keith can expand more on that.
4: Yeah. um, Yeah. That's a good, that's good. So yeah. When Ralph Raphael Polindo started the company, um, it was really kind of a thing where, you know, he had a day job and he's an excellent designer. He's designed all the book covers for all the choir books and they're all fantastic. And um, but he had a lot of friends at the time who were sub publishing their books, and he was looking at them and going, "Yeah, this is a great book, but the cover's horrible and the internals are messy, and you know, and you don't have a Kindle version, you don't have an Audible version." And so he was like, "Hey, look, I can help you guys with this." So he started the company really just to help some friends of his that were publishing and uh, sub publishing, and and then out of that decided, "Well, I can just kind of start doing this for more more authors," and that that's later on that's where Matt and I came in, and um, and again, like Matt says choir publishes books by, uh, that other publishers won't touch. I mean, uh, we are good examples of that. You know, I don't think a lot of, a lot of Christian publishers would have been interested in heretic. Uh, I know a lot of How dare you, sir? How dare well, you? Well, come on. Uh, <laughs> I they pitched have been it interested. to
0: Zondervan. I never heard back. No, uh-huh. I'm kidding.
4: Yeah. And so, you know, like my Jesus Un series, you know, I, I, I'm poking at things like penal substitution and eternal torment and things like this, where, you know, most publishers are not going to want to publish something like that. So, we were the beneficiaries of choir's vision. And, uh, you know, I was thrilled to be published by choir. And Raphael was an amazing, not just a publisher, but a collaborator and a friend. I mean, he, he, I, there, there's two books in that Jesus On series I never would have even written or published with if he hadn't pushed me on them. Mm. And I'm glad I listened to him, right? He was, he's like, I was just a smart guy. And anyway, so yeah, after running it for, for what, five years or so, uh, again, out of his, out of his extra bedroom, you know, on the side, he still has a day job. He still has a, he has a wife and two kids now. And, um, it was like, Hey, I think I'm holding this thing back. So he came to Matt and I, cause we probably have the biggest, largest state. We published the most books with choir
1: mm-hmm.
4: and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in taking it to the next level taking it from here? And it was a shock. Uh, I remember that Zoom call. Matt and I were theorizing ahead of time, what could this be about? What What do you think <laughs> it is? And neither one of us had this on the radar. We did not see this coming, um, and it was emotional because you know this is Ralph's baby. I mean, it, for him, for him to have enough love for what choir had grown to become and what it stood for, to be to love it enough to let go of it and give it away, it was hard. You know what I mean? But so it, it was an honor for for Matt and I to be considered uh, to do that, and so. We yeah, as of January of this year, uh, 2023, we have taken over Choir 2.0, and um, our goal is to continue to to publish great books. And oh my gosh, there's so many great things coming up, and hopefully we can talk about some of those things on on this interview. But uh, here's the thing: I, I know Matt and I, Matt and I never aspired to become publishers. I never wanted to own a publishing company. This is not my dream. Um, it was something that literally just kind of dropped in our laps. But at the same time, I think now that we're we're doing this together, um, I'm having a blast. I'm so excited. Uh, and it's been an amazing, so far, it's, it's only like close to 60 days <laughs> into, into it. But so far, it's been really great.
1: Now, come on, Matt, tell the truth. Um, I'm pretty sure when you were like a little kid at five years old, you're like, someday, someday I will own, I will be behind a publishing company. Was that? That kind of that was
0: now. yeah it wasn't baseball or nothing like that it was no. i want to own a publishing company for all these books i don't <laughs> love reading <laughs> i mean i was i was a reader later but not early on in life no no no
1: <laughs> well okay so we're here also not just to specifically talk about that but talk about what you guys are doing now and next um so mm. i want you guys to give me a little bit more about now choir classics this new yeah. venture that you guys are stepping into
0: yeah, and can I say it's q u o i r for those who that's a very odd spelling. So if if you're looking it up, and I'll make sure my like...
1: pronunciation. I sometimes i the, the Q's not quite coming out when I'm saying it. So I'll just yeah. Thank, you, you, thank you, thank you,
0: thank
4: you. Qu- qu- choir, choir,
0: uh, You Sound like Trump for a second.
4: Choir,
0: um, choir classics. Yeah, no. The so what I'm describing as is kind of like. There are a group of people in America who are banning books, and then there are a group of people who are publishing books. And yep. so we're trying to we're trying to be bring back a love of publishing and or a love of books by publishing books that are in the public domain, classics that we probably all should read. Not only from big names like Leo Tolstoy and Lewis Carroll, but from obscure poets who died in World War One, like Jeffrey Batch Smith. And I think in order to battle this group of people who are like, "Don't read those books," we're like, "No, read more books. Read yeah. books that you." Sh- I mean, I haven't read "The Kingdom of God Is Within You." Sorry, <sighs> Keith. I know, I know, I know, I know. I will now. And we're okay. trying to we're trying to repack. I mean, sometimes you you know, you go on the internet. You're like, I want to find this book. You find a photocopied PDF, and you, and you're scrolling through. Like, okay, great. But we're going to be like, no, okay, let's take that book and put a beautiful cover on it. And make a beautiful looking book that you can hold in your hands and read. And it's something that's unique and offering the world like, hey, let's let's repackage these books that we all should be reading and and give them the proper like, you know, packaging and and the proper, you know, care for them as works of art that they are.
4: Yeah. And I think that the, the thing that um, I'm super excited about, like we just launched the first three books and, and Matt made made references to those. Um, Amazing, amazing covers from Raphael Palindo, who, by the way, yes, is still a shadow partner uh, in the company, and we're so glad he's continued to to stick around and do covers for us. And um, so amazing covers on these choir classics. um the The thing that got me excited about this idea about kind of resurrecting some of these um, out of print or public domain works and to kind of reintroduce them to people was the the idea of, like, kind of getting, uh, more established, well-known people within kind of like the deconstruction Christian progressive space to, um, to write new forwards to these books. And, um, it helps that, especially with the first couple of ones we're doing, like, I know I'd interviewed David Bentley Hart a couple of times, and he had kind of gone on and on about how much he loves Alice in Wonderland and through the looking glass. And, and he says, he, he told me he reads through Alice in Wonderland, um, once a year. Like He just loves it. He reads it every year. He loves it so much. So when we came up with this idea, I was like, hey, well, then I bet if I approached him and said, David Bentley Hart, would you be willing to write a forward to a brand new, brand new edition with a gorgeous cover uh, with your name on the cover as you know, forward by David Bentley Hart? And of course, he says yes, right? And then I, I also happen to know that Brian Zahn's favorite book in the world is The Brothers Karamazov. And so when I went to Brian and I said, Brian, we're doing this choir classics thing we're going to we're going to republish the Brothers Karamazov your favorite book in the world wouldn't it be cool if it said forward by Brian Zahn? of course he says yes so that's the thing too is like finding the right people to connect with these books mm-hmm. that already love these books already have passion behind it um are not shy about telling people how much these books have influenced them mm-hmm. and kind of partnering partnering with them to kind of give these books a new life that to me was the that's that's the synergy for me that when we were talking about this early on Realizing that if if we could pull this off, to me that was the the thing that was going to make it special. And so when we we reached out and we came, you know, the first three or four people that we reached out to all came back and said absolutely yes. To me that was like okay we got something here and um, and it's been great. I mean, the 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 kingdom of God is within you. Leo Tolstoy, great book written in the like late eighteen hundreds, and because of this choir classics launch, it's number one now in two different categories on Amazon, and that's. Mm awesome to me that choir gets to be a part of uh, putting that book in Leo Tolstoy's name in number one on Amazon in these categories after all this time. That's awesome. And to me, that's the potential of what this series uh, could do, really do.
0: Yeah. No. And I just found out um, Jeff Jeff Turner, we have to give a shout out to Jeff yes, Turner because he's, our, he's one of our editors, him and myself, we designed the books. Um, he just reached out and said that um, A Spring Harvest, which is our book of poetry that was Written well co- written by Jeffrey Batch Smith and then collated by J.R. R. Tolkien a couple of years after Batch who, who's You De- who? wrote something about um The Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Flies.
4: Yeah, I think I saw that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it actually just went into number one in like a new release in British poetry, which is really oh. cool that oh. like, you know, most people don't know who this guy is. He died too young. He had a collection published posthumously. And now we get to, I get to have my name on there with Tolkien and and now it's, you know, people are buying it and people, you know, it's it's really humbling and, and really cool to be able to do something like that. Yeah. So the, fir- yeah. the first three titles that are out right now are which ones?
1: Repeat them again, guys. Um,
4: yeah. Alan- yeah, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland uh, and Through the Looking Glass. So that's two books in one uh, with a, a foreword by David Bentley Hart. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first one. A Spring Harvest. Which uh, Matt just mentioned—it's a collection of poetry from a good friend of J.R.R. Tolkien—and after his after the guy's death and from injuries he sustained in World War One, uh, Tolkien took it upon himself to put this together and write the preface to that. And that features a forward by Matthew Stefano. It's called *A Spring Harvest*. And um, and then the other one is Leo Tolstoy's *The Kingdom of God Is Within You*, and I wrote the forward to that. Um, so, yeah, those are the first we've launched with, but we have a couple more. Yeah, you've
0: got, you got, I think there's a three more or, or three have, more on the horizon yeah, too. We, so what are those? What are those going to be? Yeah, What's Matt, like, go ahead. Uh, we have next is The Call of the Wild by Jack London with a forward by Shonda Jaw, who is a co-host of Heritage Happy Hour. She's an Asian-American activist, um, has a new book that came out recently. Um, we have The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Is yep. that how you pronounce it? Yeah, excellent that, book. Love that book. Yeah, that's really cool because there's some artwork that's involved in that. And so we're doing something really cool uh, with some of his artwork. And and William Paul Young, author of uh, The Shed. The I mean, Shack. The Shack. Shack just, something. Just, something like that. The Shed. It was the a Shed. movie, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, so he's written the forward for that. And then um, uh, Dostoevsky, uh, mm-hmm. Keith mentioned, Brian Zahn wrote a forward for the Brothers Karamazov. Uh, we also have some down, down the lane that we haven't quite announced. We will say uh, one thing that I will announce. Um, our friend December Rose, who's another host of the Heritage Capyar, she's going to provide a foreword for uh, a book by Frederick Douglass. Since it's Black History Month, we're going to announce that. And then uh, royalties a portion of royalties for that will be donated to a, non- a Black-owned nonprofit of December's choice. Yeah. As a way for choir to do something, some something about reparations that we should have in this country. Mm. Yeah. Um. Since it's not being legislated, we can just do our small
1: part. <laughs> That's you know? right. I love it. Now, now, so you'd mentioned too that you guys are doing this because in parts of the country, people are actively trying to ban books. Now, if I was asking from their perspective, uh, and you guys are making these books, how flammable are they? <laughs> like, well, the Kindles are not. Uh,
4: okay. they will let okay. they will let endure as long as there is electricity in the yeah. internet um <laughs> which who knows the, way things the, are going, the
0: paperback books are no more flammable than any other book any oh, other okay book,
4: this
1: yeah. is wonderful wonderful people so many people will be happy to hear this as well too. <laughs> yeah.
4: you know though as an aside though you, you reminded me of something um ray bradbury's book fahrenheit 451 mm. they did a re-release of that a few years ago and it was so cool because uh the, it, it was a really cool design and there was actually a match like a little wooden match that was embedded in the cover, and but the but the but the book was printed on flame retardant paper, so it wouldn't burn. I thought that was such a cool idea. So, really cool. <laughs> Maybe I we should consider that. that. We'll look into the flame retardant. That
0: that sounds like a large publishing company. <laughs> yes, a, a bigger <laughs> budget
4: than we have. It is.
0: Yes. <laughs> future 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 down the line, in, yes, down the road, yeah. down the road. Future goals.
1: Now, um, now if people are wanting to get these books, I know people know on their own where to buy them, but. If we're wanting to go and get these these beautiful paperback-bound books, uh, where where's the best place to go and buy these things, guys? Just, where can you find choir books?
4: Well, Amazon is probably the number one place to go. Um, yeah. yeah, it's on paperback and Kindle. Um, I don't know. Would we ever do an audio version? I don't of these? know. That
0: would... I'd have to look at the rules on if you can do. Audio. I'm sure you can do audio versions of yeah, a yeah. of a public domain book, but
4: but it right now, yeah, it's Kindle and paperback. Yeah. It's on <laughs> Amazon.
0: Okay. Yeah, um,
4: yeah, go go check them out over there. And again, they're gorgeous covers. I mean, this is the thing too. We did our best to, and, and Ralph just again nailed it. Like, um, I know people love to create to to collect series of books, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. And so by by creating this as a series we really want it to be something that people would want to collect the whole thing. You know, Mm -hmm. you'd like, Hey, what's the next classics title? Um, If we can, we want to release going forward, like one a month. Mm. Uh, Hopefully we can do that and keep up with that schedule. But um, but, you know, something where it's regularly, we're coming out with a new title and it'll fit right there on the shelf. It'll look really gorgeous. You know Uh, that's what we're looking for. We want to create something that is worth collecting, something that people are going to want to have on their shelves and be proud to show to people. So
1: Yeah, there really is a a beauty and a cohesion between, at least the the first three I've seen. The first three covers as well, too. So I I can just imagine uh, that being able to be something that people would love to be able to have at home for themselves. Now, both of you guys are both authors as well. I've had you on here before. Anything, anything in your back pocket you guys
0: want to mention that's coming out on Horizon?
1: I know Matt has some things.
0: I do, yeah. I think mine's next. Uh, Keith? Yeah. You just finished a book, but I've got one that comes out March 14th, called The Wisdom of Hobbits. If if you didn't know, I'm a huge Tolkien nerd. So um, I wrote, uh, I wrote a book about kind of the ethics and the worldview and what's important to hobbits and how if we applied them in our human lives, that we would be more enriched and happy and peaceful and type of people. And so, it is out on choir publishing. I did go, uh, Keith made the joke that we are now self-publishing again.
4: <laughs> yeah. We're, we're back to self-publishing. Now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which I've actually never done. Keith has, I, I haven't self-published before. So now I guess this is my first foray into self-publishing. Um, but no, I'm really excited. It comes out March 14th. I've heard really positive. The, the best endorsements I'm getting are from people who don't read Tolkien and don't mm. even watch the movies. And they're like, yeah, I'm super interested. And I started actually my editor, uh, his wife tried to get her to watch the movies their entire marriage. After reading my book, they actually started watching it, watched the whole thing, and now she's reading the books. Wow, the, nice. Lord nice. of the Rings. So I was like, oh, that's a fantastic endorsement. So I'm super stoked about that. <laughs>
1: and awesome. when does that come out, Matt? March 14th. March 14th.
0: Yep. So it's coming Available right
1: wherever. Yeah. Available yeah. wherever you want to get them. Now, also, you guys, I know Keith, are you yours? You said you just finished one, but is that still kind of keeping things under wraps for a little while or
4: um i can go ahead and talk about it i guess uh why not so you know i you mentioned solo mysterium that's the book that i most recently published um and i really thought when i finished jesus Un* the jesus Un* series that seven part series i was done writing series like no more no more of that (laughs) i was looking forward to just moving on to single individual books so i did solo mysterium and it felt really great and i'm really happy with that book but then then the more I thought about it, I realized you know what I could probably make this a trilogy, and so mm-hmm. um, I think that's the plan. So the next book that I am currently finishing up at the moment, I go in. I'll go in and say the title. I haven't really put it out there until a- a- now, so we'll we'll break the news here. Um, I'm calling it "Sola Deus," okay, and uh, only God. And um you can probably guess what it's about. It's continuing to think about how do we how do we approach God, how do we think about mm-hmm. God and all that so um yeah coming soon from choir hopefully sometime before the end of the year uh can't wait to share that
1: now both of you guys also you're prolific authors that have a lot of a lot of stuff going on a lot of stuff that's out there but you also just want to give one last pitch too uh tell me about your guys podcasts as well too many people already know you guys from your podcasts but i know you're on several different ones each
4: yeah. And we can even maybe even talk a little bit about this network we're putting together uh, mm-hmm. as well. Because we, we we started, in fact, here's what's funny, right? This is how I met Matthew DiStefano. I never heard of this guy until, mm-hmm. uh, again, Raphael Polindo uh, had this idea one day, gosh, how long was this? Six, six seven years ago. Uh, he said, hey, you know, Matt and, I, and Jamal, all three of us require published authors. I think we only had each of us one book, right? We published mm-hmm. one book with choir. And he said, hey, why don't we all get together and do a little podcast thing together? And we'll do three episodes. And each one of you on, can share an episode on your individual blog posts. And we'll kind of do a blog po- podcast share thing. We're like, ah, sure. So that's the first time I ever met Matthew Stefano. We did those three episodes. And it was so much fun. That's when we got the idea of like, let's could we do this all the time? Could we just do this like, you know, a couple of times a month? And came up with Heretic Happy Hour as a podcast. That's where Matt and I started working together. And, um, and we're still going. So Heretic Happy Hour is still going as a podcast. We're still co-hosting. Um, and we, ha- and then there's a spin-off podcast sort of from that called Apostates Anonymous. And uh, Matt and I do that together. It's a blast. It's a lot of fun. We do fake ads. It's, it's, I'm sure it's the, it's the most people will listen until we do the fake ad and they probably drop right off, but the fake ads are hilarious. So <laughs> if that's the only reason you listen and, um, I think, the, And then I do a solo podcast called Second Cup with Keith, which I put on hiatus, but I'm bringing it back um, pretty soon as well. But uh, I'll let Matt talk about this, the the, the network, because, um, again, once, once Matt and I were looking at taking over choir, uh, the ideas started firing, you know. So this classics thing came out of that, but also a lot of other things were brainstormed, like, what else could we do um, to kind of raise awareness with choir? We want choir to be more than just a publishing company and... Uh, Choir was already p- producing the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. So, um, yeah, we came up with this idea for a network. And Matt, you kind of kind of spearheaded that in the beginning. So you want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, well, it was based on Ralph's vision of being a multimedia company rather than just a publishing company. The publishing company is like the foundation of what we do. But then it was like, well, we we're already friendly with a bunch of podcasts. So why don't we do... A net, like a networking marketing thing, like, hey, we'll run ads for each other. Uh, we'll promote each other. And so we have a handful of, of podcasts in our network that we've, you know, we've had for a while, I guess, like a month and a half. Right? Yeah, it's been going maybe a while. little. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is not church, the Messy Spirituality podcast, Ideas Digest and the New Evangelicals are also in our in our network. And it's just been it's cool just to have that collaboration and just to you know if you think of like a web of your influence to spread those webs out and 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 choir is really hands off because we are the cool thing about it and Ralph's intention behind it was he wants authors to own it because we understand what it's like to be a content creator we understand this side of it we we'll, we've figured out and are figuring out the business side of it but we know what it's like to be an author and a podcaster and someone just trying to scrape and grind and carve out their little, you know, whatever you're doing. And you would understand the same thing, like, you know, being a podcast host here. So we understand that. So we try to be as author centric as podcaster centric. Their content is their content. We're just here to help promote it and market it and get it in front of more eyes and ears.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, the principle, I can I guess, sort of behind this, the philosophy behind the network, the Quarkast network, uh, which I think is similar to what we're trying to do as, with the publishing side too, is this idea of rising tides, lift all boats. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so we do this on the publishing side. We have a quorum, which is a private kind of a mastermind group of all the authors on the publishing side where we all help each other and, you know, give each other ideas and share ideas with each other, you know, because we realize um, The better choir does, the better all of us do, right? And Mm -hmm. and the same with the network. So with the podcast network. So you know, um, if messy spirituality gets more listeners, then there's a good chance that if we all kind of like keep sharing each other, like, oh, if if you turn tune into Ideas Digest and they say, hey, listen to, um, you know, this is not church, or if they turn in tune into New Evangelicals and they say, hey, listen to Apostates Anonymous. All that helps all of us grow, and uh, and it's worked. So far, it's been growing and working. And without giving too many details, I will say we're on the cusp of signing a distribution deal that will really help us um, expand the network, grow our listenership, and and even monetize uh, all of the podcasts. So we're really excited about the future. Things are going pretty quick, pretty fast here. <laughs> Again, it's only barely 60 days into this thing, and, and we're watching this thing explode. So uh, it's very exciting.
1: I, i'm I'm excited to see what's happening too. and and I love the ideas of you guys trying to get collective voices that are speaking out um against like the normal Christian mainstream guck that's out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. being able to have other people's visions, other people's experiences that that I think that resonate with folks that are saying a lot of this other b s isn't for me anymore. So I, I think it's it's hugely important. Um, yeah, what you guys are putting together because I do. i think I think it collects a lot of us. A lot of those that are, uh, I guess, like church refugees and people that have like kind of gone and, and, and walked away from this but still want to be connected in deeper ways too. And so I, yeah, I, I love this. I love you guys being able to provide voices and also being able to churn out what is happening next with Choir Classics. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for being on here. Uh, if you were looking for them, you can look up Keith Giles, Matt De, De, De Stefano. Their books are out there. And we are looking forward to all of the new titles coming out to Choir Classics. And re- I guess repeating that once again, it's Choir, Q-U-O-I-R, Classics. Yep. Uh, yes, and is it, throw me a website or something for Choir.
4: <laughs> well, Choir.com. Whoa. Uh, okay. Q- <laughs> Q-U-O-I-R.com. It's in the process of being uh, revamped. Hopefully very soon we'll get to throw the switch on the brand new uh, website. So it's a little old right now, but... You'll, you'll, you, you can go there and kind of get the gist of what Choir's it all It look about.
0: old, it's just, yeah, it's not yeah. updated.
4: But we're, uh, we're looking forward to updating that very soon.
1: Well, awesome. Thank you thank you guys so much for your time and coming on here. And all that you're doing, I'm excited for what is coming on the horizon for you guys thank and you, everything else. Well, yeah. Thanks, man. Much thanks to Keith and Matt for joining me today. And I just want to also tell you guys, much thanks for hanging out with me today. I really, really do appreciate you guys. Before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the word out to new listeners. If you want to reach out to me directly, hit me up at stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at snarkyfaith.com. Thank you for being a part of this show week after week. I appreciate you all. And as I release you out into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. May you live out Easter in a way that is well with your soul. That's all I've got this week. I'll catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here. Peace!
0: This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Heretic Happy Hour, whose tagline is burning questions, not people. Join hosts Shonda Jaw, December Rose, Dr. Reverend Katie Valentine, Keith Giles, and myself, Matthew J. DiStefano, for a happy hour filled with quality conversation, fine fellowship, and perhaps even a laugh or two. Unapologetically irreverent and crass, yet sometimes profound, We make sure to pull no punches and leave no stones unturned as we discuss the Christian faith. But listener, beware. There will assuredly be some serious sacred cow tipping. If that sounds like your cup of tea, or bourbon if that's your thing, head on over to heretichappyhour.com to stay up to date with us, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast fix.